Lord, thank you um, for that promise. For those of us that have believed upon you, that we are safe in your hands, that no one can pull us out. I believe that's a bigger truth than we can possibly grasp. I'm so thankful for it. In your name we pray. Amen. You could be seated. Thank you for joining us this morning uh, at Conduit. Uh, it's been an amazing week here. Um, Dean and Kim and uh, Ryan, would you join me, please? I want to introduce you for those that are new and remind you for those that are here that the Laracas are flying to China this week. Some of us are. <laughs> By the way, I just got a text from Mark Bourgeois, one of our elders, which another one. He just landed in Beijing, so he's going to be in China this week, FYI. Um, <laughs> That works out, don't it? Um, Dean and Kim, uh, we've known you guys for a long time. Longer than I had previously supposed. 16 years, wow. And uh, we've lived a lot of life together. And um, I don't want to tell the story because you do a better job than me, but would you tell us who this little guy is and what you're doing this week? I think I got the choked upness out the first service. So, oh, whatever. Um, yeah, I'm trying. Um, this little boy is our new son. Um, he currently is still nameless. Um, he does want American names, so we have kind of a cluster of names for him yeah. to choose from. Darren is on the list still or no? <laughs> uh, yeah, it yeah. Is. yeah. It is now. Not the short yeah. list necessarily, but you know, yeah. just. <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> Naming yeah. rights. Um, Anyways, um, Darren's right, and I'll just kind of briefly share what I shared the first service. Um, before Dean and I were married 22 years ago, we began to talk about what our family would look like, and adoption has always been something that's woven, sorry, through the conversations. Um, life happened, four kids, a few moves from Florida and Tennessee and businesses, and we were good. We were, you know, we were maxed. Um, and to those that don't know us, uh, five and a half years ago, our middle son, Matthew, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And he went home. See, I thought I was going to do this. Uh, he went to live with Jesus four years ago when he was 12 and a half years old. Um, so since then, my, our oldest two have gone off to college. And um, Ryan's kind of the lone man at home. So uh, a few months after Matt passed away, Ryan asked one night when I was putting him to bed if we could, I quote, get one of those kids, the kind of kids that don't have their own parents, could we get one to come live with us? And um, a lot of hurt was still in our hearts, but I said, you know, we'll maybe talk to Jesus about that and good night. We were just nowhere, you know, we, we just, we're, we're not in a place to even think about that. So about a year ago, it came back up again, and we had some good conversations with Darren and Shannon, and um, if the time was truly right, if we were healthy enough, crossing, you know, talking about the financial aspects of it, because it is not inexpensive. Um, and here we are this week after some delays. We were supposed to have traveled in January or February, and... Long story, but um, we're going now, and it's since happened in the last few weeks that my husband cannot go. So um, Ryan has been 
on the list to go the entire time because he deserves to go. <laughs> um, so our oldest daughter, our oldest two will go to the same college. They will be home Tuesday afternoon um, and our daughter is taking his place. So they'll have roughly 12 hours at home before we get on the plane um, to go bring him home. It's pretty amazing. We as a family, um, just personally, I'm really, really excited for you guys. And I'm excited for this little guy. Um, and today, immediately following this service, we're, uh, we're going to have like a ascending shower, I guess, for lack of a better word, in the family room. Um, but I wanted to pray for, and is everybody invited? Or we, do we do RSVP on that? Yeah, talk to her. Okay. Ladies that wanted to encourage, stop by. Okay. So we want to pray for you, though, as a family. And if you guys would come down here so we could get more people around, I would love it if um, our elders and wives, and then if you've been a part of the journey, if you just feel a particular connection to Laracas and what's happening, would you come down as well? And let's lay hands on and let's pray for and send these guys out on a mission trip. There is a trip with a mission attached to it, which is to rescue this little guy from the kingdom of darkness. And I know we, uh, we live in a family, the Ellis family here as well, of people that, have, that know this journey and know the power of it. And so, um, Kim, how can we be praying for you this week and specifically and as a family? What kind of support do you need from us? Um, actually, it's very specific stuff, and I will... Um, I will post on the church Facebook page um, the link to our blog. I am not a techie girl, and my husband's going to try to set me up as best he can with VPN so I can get online. Um, I mean, I have, I'm pretty independent, but some of the stuff I have to do without him, it kind of scares me. So we'll be meeting in front of people that will be likened to Supreme Court justices and crossing the T's. Um, I have to carry a lot of cash on me. Uh, our agency does not wire the money. Um, I'm talking a lot of cash, and that kind of wakes me out a little bit. But, yeah, if you all just daily, anytime you think about us, um, you know, emotions, all of it, transition, um, safety, especially the food safety stuff. I don't like stomach stuff. Um, <laughs> Get you some yeah. Cipro, you'll be fine. So, yeah, we do. We got that. Um, and then I'll also share, but we would love to have... Um, the people that have walked to this with us at the airport. We Cortland, would you pray for us? Pray for the Laracas. Wow. God, you are amazing. What you've done here and what you're continuing to do and what you will do as a father how you love us, how you've made a way, how you've taken a dream 22 years ago and how you've um, opened the door for this to happen. God, for the Laracas, there's been so many times where they've asked you, what is it? What's next? Uh, how, how do we do what you've called us to do, God? And then you've showed up. You've showed up in so many different ways and, and, and you've encouraged and you've brought people into their path. 
Um, and for all of that, Lord, we're so thankful. But God, what is about to happen, you've already written. And so, Father, we, we trust you. We trust that in all the details, and Kim's got a lot of them, that you'll be there. We trust that in, in the security of the situation, we trust you in the, the details of the situation. We trust you in, Father, that you're bringing home a son. That, God, this little boy will have a family forever. Father, can we sit in your glory for a minute and just enjoy that, that you call him son and you've placed him with Dean and Kim for the rest of his life. God, we pray for all the details and for all the travel and for the, the times of just, man, we're tired. That in those moments, your strength will be enough. We trust you, Lord. We trust that in the details, in front of the magistrates and the judges and everybody that they have to visit with, that you, we trust you in those moments. God, would you open this door and bring home the next Laraka? Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Jim, would you join me as well? Um, Jim Henderson and Donna, I guess uh, they were here first service, so she had permission to not be here. But Jim's uh, taken one for the team because I asked him to tell us a little bit about what's happening in uh, the student ministry. Uh, Jim and Donna were part of the founding of what has become Conduit Church, and for the first few years, he, uh, they led the... Oh, there's Donna back there. Hi, Donna. So you get like extra brownie points. If it turns out we get to heaven and I was wrong about grace, and it works, you, it worked for you. So, um, Jim and Donna helped us with our uh, children ministry. Now they, uh, Jim leads our uh, student ministry. He and Donna are just like champs uh, leading our student ministry. But tell us a little bit about uh, Melvin and, and what's happening with our student ministry right now as it relates to him. Yeah, so um, as I told the first service, about four weeks ago, kind of in the middle of my own healing journey that was going on, yeah. um, which was a mountain more than a journey, um, where I was struggling to even focus on anything, and there's just blocks of my life that are missed out. But during that service, when Rob and Amanda were sharing from their heart what they're doing in Guatemala and sharing with you how God has been blessing them, and he had, he had said that basically this coming year, they really wanted to take some young men under their kind of wing and offer guidance. Because in a lot of these countries, in Guatemala being no different, um, once you hit a certain age of adulthood, 14, 15, 16, you're on your own. And the opportunity to have post-secondary education as someone who's going through it about to send one off to college, we live in a very blessed country. And so as he spoke through all the fog that I was in, God clearly spoke to me and, and, and just said, we've got to get involved. And I, I thought it was personally for Donna and I initially, and as I prayed about it more, I realized it was bigger. It was about our youth group because the youth has always been built on relationships. And <clears throat> I'm blessed to lead the high school guys. We're doing a, an impromptu get-together this afternoon, throw football around. That's just relationships and, and so on. And... Um, so I reached out to Rob, I sent him an email um, after meeting with the youth on a Wednesday night and just saying, 
You know, I really feel like we could possibly reach out a dollar a person per month. Not a big deal. I mean, most of us throw away a dollar in pennies a month, honestly. We don't want to pick it up, we drop it, whatever it is. And I asked the students, can you find a dollar? And I knew the high schoolers, that's easy. I knew the middle schoolers, are a little more of a challenge, especially if you don't have an income. How do you come up with that dollar? But it was a unanimous 100% wanted to do it, wanted to get involved. And we didn't have a name for this. We didn't know. We just, hey, Rob, we want to send you $40 a month. That's what we've determined. And we, we hope $40 can be stretched in Guatemala, which he said, he, you know, it probably could. Um, Rob sent me back. Um, he read, I sent the email on Thursday saying it was unanimous. Everybody said yes. He called me on Friday. Now, calling from Guatemala to, to Middle Tennessee is not a cheap thing to do. Um, and I was like, dude, you got to get off the phone. Just email it. And he's like, no, I really want to share a story with you. And so, basically, they had met Melvin, who's standing there between him and Shannon, um, while they were down there. And Melvin basically had grown up in, in around the church. He knew who God was, but he didn't have a personal relationship with him. And Melvin got so on fire from the teachings and what he saw in the Juilliard's life and some of the other you know, things that are going on down there, he wanted to go into the missions field. And he also wanted to study under someone in a seminary-style you know, setting where he could just dive into God for one year. He believed in it so much, he sold both his bakeries, his only source of income, last December to go on a missionary trip to Honduras to, to basically reach out from his third world country to another third world country what God's doing. When he returned, he found his house gutted. It had been completely stripped down to almost, you know, bare walls, robbed. They took his dog. Like, that's, that's hardcore, slow, right? Man. I mean, like, that's just Took harsh. Dog. You can steal a lot of things. Don't take my beagle. Um, and on top of that, his fiance, who had said, you know, I love you and I want to be, spend the rest of my life with you, just said, you know what, this whole new God thing, I just, it's just too much. I don't, really don't want to be a part of that. And his words back to Rob through tears was, Job had it tougher. Like, I don't, I mean, you know, if to lose everything, I don't know that Job would have jumped into my mind. I would have been like, trust me, someone just came through a journey, it's like poor little me at times. And so Rob said all this to say, he also lost his job. That's why the call on Friday. He called me in tears, and, and you don't just find a job at McDonald's or anywhere else in, in Guatemala. It's a weeks or months process to find any kind of minimum income to be able to live and not wind up on the streets. He said, the $40 a month that your youth have pledged is half of what it will take for him to go to seminary, all expenses paid, for one year and study the Word of God. And, and he said, we, the Juilliards, who are on their own limited income themselves, we'll pledge the other 40 to, to allow this young man to go. So we as a youth group have stepped up for one year at $40 a month, and I'm actually proud to, to brag on your sons and daughters because this past month in April, they raised $87, which means the Juilliards don't have to give anything. They can continue to just live. And so I wanted to share this story because we don't need to necessarily travel all over the world. We can be missionaries right from here and touch lives. And so... Thank your sons and daughters because they bought into yeah. a vision that God gave us. Yeah, and thank you guys for leading it. And it really has been a fascinating month at uh, Conduit. Like, there are times when we just look up and think, man, what is the Lord up to? You know, we, 
If you were here last week, you might remember Pastor William from Togo, Africa on his first time to the United States ever. And uh, if you missed it, boy, I'm just real sorry because <laughs> it was awesome. Um, but I asked William, man, what is it that you need? Well, how can we love you in a way that, uh, that serves you? What, you? what is the need in front of you right now that you have that is unfunded? And if, and if it, you had it, it would make a huge difference. And then, because I didn't have that much faith, I actually, uh, which is good because he said you only need faith the size of a mustard seed, so let that sink in. So uh, I was like, what if we just like, talk about your salary? You know, I'm, I'm planting seeds in his mind of what it could be, you know, which is like $150 a month. So I thought, we'll just knock that out. We'll shout and go home. And, and William didn't say that. <laughs> he said, because uh, he can't think about himself, right? It's like being a servant. And so what he's thinking of is what is, the, what is it that could give us uh, an ambulance, that could give us transportation for food and for supplies and for, and it was a, a Toyota Helix truck is what he's, and I remember five years ago him telling me he's believing that God would provide this truck for him. And in the meantime, you remember the story of the pregnant lady on the motorcycle in labor that he's driving to the hospital on a motorcycle. But I'm happy to tell you that last week, uh, your generosity uh, shocked us all, and $20,000 has already come in for that. Um, We need somewhere between 25 and 30. Uh, If you're new or you're thinking you've been around a while, well, that's kind of convenient. I'd like to have a $30,000 vehicle. A couple thoughts for you. One, the reason they're so expensive is they completely jack the prices up there. This is like the Kmart version. There's not like power windows in this or whatever. There is air conditioning, but nothing else like uh, electric. There's no like meep beep keychain. It's just, you know, utilitarian. Uh, but it allows him to drive through water because <laughs> you need it in these roads. And the fact is, is that if we buy a new one, we know that the, what the transmission is. We know about the suspension. Uh, Juilliards, we bought a truck down there that was $8,000, and we thought, hey, that's, a, you know, that's a good, being a good steward. And uh, two months later, the transmission blows and the engine goes, and so, you know, $8,000 in repairs later, they now own a $16,000 used vehicle. So uh, there is no shop in, in Ben Chal. Like, if the suspension goes out, it's like, you know, a $1,000 tow job to get it out. So this is new, and there's a reason for it. And we're just believing that the Lord will, will bring the rest uh, when the time comes. And uh, in the meantime, this morning, in when you guys were getting up for church, uh, uh, a medical team, this is a photo from last year, but this is the team uh, in Jockmail, Haiti this morning. That's why David Christopher is not with us. There's a team of doctors and nurses uh, providing health care this morning at our clinic down in Jockmail, Haiti. And then, meanwhile, in Nepal, uh, we... Our friends Dan and Cheryl Ingle over there in the middle of this earthquake. And contrary to what CNN would have you to believe, the world, uh, there's a lot more going on in the world than just what's happening in Baltimore. And that's important, and I don't mean to diminish it, but man, there are people dying right now. Uh, people who are trapped, there are children whose uh, spines are severed that uh, can't get just simple surgery to release the pressure from it in Nepal right now. And so we have been, uh, through our network of friends and churches around the country, we've raised $11,000 so far uh, and have also just been working the phones to get doctors who were there. I had a phone call Friday night with uh, Russ Rankin, who's one of our former elders. He's in Waco, Texas right now. They had a team of doctors and nurses who just landed on Friday looking for a place who had medical needs, and I was happy to report that we have one of those. So their doctors and nurses are working right now on the ground with what's happening over there. So 
this is kind of a normal time at Conduit. I'd love to tell you if you're new that this is how, um, this is unusual week, but as I think back over the five years we've been here, it's kind of normal for us. And I like this kind of normal. Like I could grow old in this kind of normal. And I think that at the same time, I've had a lot of conversations uh, even this past week because it's kind of hard to explain what we do here, how we do it, why we do it. Talking with even our elders on staff and thinking, you know, how do we, how do we possibly communicate how we do this? And I was trying to think, if you've been around, you know that I think in metaphor and in uh, simile and word pictures a lot. And, and if I were to think about, you know, what is a conduit church? Not what is conduit with a big C, but a little C more. Like, a, what, how do we define what we do here? What is a conduit church as an adjective as opposed to a name? I, I thought of it in terms of uh, as a ship. You know, what if, if that's the metaphor that we're going for? It's like a boat where we're transporting people. And, and wouldn't it be awesome if that was the boat, right? You know, the... Your grandmas and grandpas sing gospel ship. You know, that's, I don't know that that's what they meant, but hey, that'd be awesome. But I'm not sure that that is the metaphor that fits us as much as this metaphor, which is a troop carrier, which is a little more utilitarian, not quite as fancy, but it's durable, it's sturdy, and it gets the job done. And if I think in terms of what is a conduit church, we are a ship, and we're more troop carrier than we are cruise ship. I hope this makes sense. And I, the metaphor, sometimes metaphor is dangerous because it can put us into a box or it can be, okay, then we completely understand it. Every metaphor breaks down at some point. I get it. But for the purposes of our discussion, a troop carrier delivers, it deploys. There's a mission involved. And what's happening with conduit is that's kind of what we are. And as I thought this week, I was really sick in the Lord. Like, how do I even describe what it is that we do here? And I thought, well, one thing I know we do is we discover the gifts that are inside of us. You know, we're following Jesus, but what is the gift, the spiritual gift, the Romans 12 gift that God has put inside of us? And we develop that. Listening to Jim and Donna this morning, I mean, Jim and Donna have been with us a long time, and that wasn't me just saying, hey, go tell your kids to go do something. That was him letting the spirit lead him and use his gift of leadership and rally the troops. And so that's been developed. And now that they are deploying and delivering what God has put inside of them. And that story is true among many of us in here today. Dean and Kim are no exception. She's going to China this week. And for a lot of us who travel globally, it's kind of like snicker, snicker. That's just China. It's not that big of a deal. But if you've never been there, like that's a big deal. And in her mind, she's like, yeah, you know. But she has been, she's discovered what's inside of us. She's been developing it over these years. And what the, what, how would God have her to use that gift? And now she's going to deploy to China and deliver the gift of a family to this little boy. That's kind of what a troop carrier does. And the reason I'm telling you that this morning is that I wanted to also address the fact that the troop carrier is no less holy than the mission on the other side. And if you've been around a while, you might not, you know, it's probably uh, true that you would think, well, that's not how it feels. It feels like it's more holy when we gave money to Pastor William than it is when we give in tithes and offerings in, in a Sunday morning. Parenthetically, I'm not getting ready to take up an offering, just so you know. Like, the doors are not locked, you're free to go. But I'm just, 
I'm trying to explain to you something that has been clear to me, but for many of us around here is not very clear. And that's my fault as a leader, and I'm sorry about that. But how do we put fuel in the troop carrier? How do we keep this alive here while accomplishing the mission on the other side? And when you've given in tithes on a weekly basis, that's, kind of, that's what that's been going to, is, is allowing this troop carrier to function. Because there has to be a bathroom on the troop carrier. We got them, and they're about as utilitarian as a troop carrier. There has to be places to sleep and to live and to sit and to be. And so that's kind of what this is for us. And at the same time, when we think about, well, Darren, how is it possible that this organization, that this church in the past five years as a church and seven years as a mission organization, how is it possible that $2.3 million has gone through here to the front lines of God's work and I'm sitting in this chair, this lawn chair, this $10 back-crunching chiropractor's dream-come-true chair? How is that possible? And the answer is just going with the need in front of us. We've been, I'd love to tell you we had a system in place, but when Pastor William, when I made the comment about the chair last week, thinking, oh, you know, we got these chairs, but we won't do that. We don't even worry about the chairs. And some of you guys, if you've got bad backs, you've had back surgery, that's not funny to you. Like, that's not funny at all. You're thinking, oh, I thought we finally had a chance at this. <laughs> and our troop carrier does need that. And I'll tell you, when we bought these chairs five years ago, they were being used once a week for about an hour. And then we went home. And I, I made the joke about they're great, they're not comfortable, but that's good because I don't want you to stay here anyway. I want you to be uncomfortable and go into all the world. And that was all true. It is true. It remains true. But these are now not just used once a week for an hour by about 100 people. They're now used every, almost every day of the week by a total of about 1,000 people a week that go through these doors. 600 that are non-conduits, when you factor in what we're doing on Wednesdays and Sundays, 1,000 people a week are sitting in these, and that's why some of them are breaking. Some of them are pinching because they're just not, uh, they're just not made for that kind of use. Our troop carrier, the carpet in it, in, in a way, like I don't necessarily care because if somebody spills, I don't care. Look at this carpet. Take your coffee right now and pour it out. What difference does it make? It's like, <laughs> so there's a freedom in that. But about July... It starts to smell like teenagers in here <laughs> after a long day of being a teenager because it's been here for like 20 years, maybe. Three, I don't know. God only knows how much sweat has gone into this carpet. <laughs> maybe I should take up an offering. I'm killing it right now. <laughs> oh, I'm but our troop carrier, I mean, it's utilitarian. So if, if you were here for a nice carpet, I'm really sorry. Like, it's just not here, and we get that. The HVAC, we, we did put new uh, air conditioning in here, so when you're complaining about it's cold in here, thank Jesus that it can be cold in here. Because if you were here last summer, it was like going to church in a crock pot. We were like on <laughs> slow roast all summer long. And I'm a beady guy, you know, like I'm T.D. Jakes, like you just need a towel to mop off. So it was like sweaty and swampy, and, and the fact is, is the family room is still that way. Like it's, there was a, basically a residential air conditioner put into a, a us and that, uh, and it doesn't, it's just, it wasn't made for us. And we came out and we had a bid from one of the companies here in town. It was 
I actually wish I was making this up, $200,000 to revamp the whole thing. We're like, man, the building is totaled at that point. Like, we don't even just break it up and put a new one in. But we just thought, well, that, that, can't, be, that can't be it. And so we, we put the little unit in here, and it costs like $15,000, and it's fine, and it works. And, and what I want to do, I guess, say this morning is that my lack of concern for the chairs, my lack of concern for the carpet, my lack of even mentioning the fact that our playground system is a little sketch right now. Like your children, when they're swinging, they get a little extra swing. You know what I mean? Like it's swing and then a little bit more because <laughs> the thing is going like this. <laughs> and we'd love to replace it, but we got the bid. It's like $5,000. Are you kidding me? So we, we, don't, we just think, well, you know, we, we don't know. <laughs> We just know that the 5000 for this or whatever, the chairs or the HVAC or the carpet, we, we literally sit around and talk about this as an elders and then think, well, what's, how do we do this? What is God going to do for us, for our local? And part of the story that I wanted to share with you this morning is in Galatians chapter 4. By the way, the sermon's already started, just in case you're wondering. In Galatians chapter 4, of how it is when you Seek first his kingdom, how it is when you are living in faith, doing what he tells you to do, how it is that he actually swings back around and takes care of the stuff that you needed. And as a church, we all believe locally that we should behave this way. We believe that individually that we should seek first the kingdom of God, that we should seek his righteousness, and then all those things are added unto us. And I want you to know that as a church, corporately, we believe that's how we should behave as well. And this story that Paul is referencing, and we're going to dive into this in the coming weeks, but as I read it this week with fresh eyes of what God is doing with us, I was reminded that God gave us a promise here at Conduit, corporately. He's given you promises individually. And Paul, speaking from a 30,000-foot view, is speaking of this promise that God gave to us of grace, of forgiveness, of the new covenant But he draws from a story that we find familiar in Galatians 4.21. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But by his son, the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. And he says in verse 24 that these things are being taken figuratively. This is a metaphor for us. Their their lives, what they were really living out, is a metaphor for us. The women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to to be slaves. That's, That's Hagar. And now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, speaking of the Ten Commandments and Moses and the law of Moses, and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. And this speaks of Sarah. And he's quoting from Isaiah 54, which is great because it comes right after Isaiah 53, which is the promise of the Messiah. For it's written, be glad, barren woman, You who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. And he says in verse 28 that now 
you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of a promise. And at the time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit, the same as it is now. Verse 30, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, children of the law, but we're children of the free woman, which is the new covenant. We could just go home (laughs) because that's awesome. But what I was reminded is that we live in this ethereal spiritual world where this speaks of the new covenant and the promise. But Paul would say in Galatians, did you start in this in faith and then go back to works? Why would you want to do that? You see, Abram, we first meet Abram in Genesis chapter 12. He was living in Ur of the Chaldees, which is a little south of College Grove, just over by Chapel Hill. That's actually in modern day Iraq. But he was living in Ur, and Joshua, in the book of Joshua, tells us he was worshiping the moon goddess. He was a pagan, straight up, no holds barred, government certified, USDA approved, pagan. But God called him at the ripe young age of 75 and said, get out of this country and go to a land that I will show you. If you're retirement age, understand that retirement is an American idea, not God's. We need you. (laughs) We need your wisdom. You guys know stuff we don't know. You are free to go and serve and do the things that the Lord has done and and move through you. But at 75 years old, Abraham goes. His name is still Abram. And he goes to Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. And he sets up, it says he uh, sets up his tent there at this place that he would call Bethel, which means house of God, Beth, house El, God, house of God. He sets up his tent. He makes a, an altar and God speaks to him and then famine comes. But God promised me I should go here. He told me I, and I'm obeying him and it's dry and I'm hungry and I feel alone. How is that possible? And for you personally, have you felt that promise before? And then you felt, well, it's dry here, and there's famine here. And God's promise feels so far away. And so what did Abram do? He did what I have done a lot. He panicked. I hate it when I panic. I'm getting older. I don't do it as much anymore. But what do you do when you panic? You make really bad decisions. So he panics, and you notice, he didn't ask, hey, God, should we leave? Should we go someplace else? It just says, and they went down to Egypt because there was money there. There was provision there. So they went to Egypt. And when they roll into town, he realizes, hey, you know what? My smoking hot wife is going to be trouble here. Pharaoh is, they're going to, word's going to spread. She must have been really hot. Word is going to spread, and they're going to want to take her as a, in the harem. And so what does Abram say? Like the age of chivalry is long dead. He says, just tell them you're my sister. And that way they won't kill me. So that's what she did. And that day, Abram gets all these, it says these gifts, men servants and maid servants. Pharaoh was buying his wife from him. She settles in at Pharaoh's house, and that night, God 
hovered over and death and destruction was visiting Pharaoh's house and he knows immediately something's wrong. So he goes back to Abram with Sarai, whose name was Sarai still at the time, and says, look, I can't believe you lied to me. This is, you, you about got me killed. And I love it because even in when we make stupid decisions, God's protection can still be right in the middle of it. You can't be too stupid to find your way outside of God's sovereignty of your life. And you can't be too smart either. His sovereignty is just what it is. So he sends them away and Abram says, we need to go back to Bethel, back to the house of God, back to the last place that I heard you speak. You'll notice that God never spoke to Abram in Egypt. And I think it's because he loved him too much. If God spoke to me in places where I was just telling God, I got this one, I'm tagging, like it's some sort of tag team wrestling match and I'm being tagged in now by the big show. Like, if God spoke to me there, I'd probably just settle down in Egypt. But he didn't. He left that dryness in, in, in uh, Abram and in me. And so he went back to where God spoke to him. And God appeared to him again and said, look, I meant it. I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abram's like, great. I'm, you know, 85 years old. I have no children. How is that possible? So a few years are passing and Sarah says, you know, I got an idea. Why don't you take Hagar? Because did God say he was going to give us a child or that we would have a child? So what if we just help him out a little bit? What harm is there in that? And so it, and so it was. And Ishmael was born. Ishmael represents the flesh. It, if, uh, if Hagar represents the law, what we see is that the law and the flesh are simply our attempts at keeping the promise that God made. You promise your child, I'm going to do this for you or do that for you, and then your child at you know, five years old goes out and gets a job and does it himself. He's not going to do it very well. And that's our attempt at helping God, at fixing the problem that God intended to keep so by Genesis chapter 17, Ishmael is now 13 years old. So he's 16 years old in Genesis 17, give or take. Because God actually did keep his promise to Abram. And he changed his name to Abraham, the meaning of the father of many nations. And he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. And this little boy is born, not the one. And he comes to him and says, I'm going to do this to you, but not in the way that you wanted it to happen. I'm going to do it the way that I want it to happen, the way that's perfect and awesome. You're going to have a son. You're going to call him Isaac. And what did Abram say in Genesis 17, verse 8? Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. Saying, God, I, I, I love that you want to do this for me, but I've got a son already. That Ishmael would be the one that he would live before you. And I've done that a lot in my life. I've carried my Ishmael, my helping God out and said, oh, but what about this one? I know you wanted to do it this way, but look what I've done. Can't this just be all the effort and the energy that I put into this? Couldn't this be the one? And we'll get into it in the coming weeks because he's about to send Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert. And it's this amazing story that has amazing truth for us. But I feel like that it would, I would be remiss 
to say that what God did here for Abraham, in spite of him, not because of him, because he chose to, because he's good, and because he is full of grace, is what he has done for us as a church corporately and what he is doing for us individually as well. He made promises to each, I believe everybody has promises in your heart for your children, for yourself, for your grandbabies, and it has felt like it's not getting anywhere. And so our temptation, our desire is that, wow, it was like 10 years ago that I thought this was going to be this, and now here it is 10 years later, and and maybe you feel like giving up on that promise. Maybe you feel like you've moved on. Maybe you feel like you've got a new one. I mean, you're making your own. Or wherever you locate yourself in that equation, it's a very, it's very, all of us have experienced it. All of us experience it currently. And I thought about it in terms of us as a church corporately of how God gave us a promise here that couldn't possibly have been any other way but God making it happen. And believe me, there have been things that I've done to try to make it happen that have not turned out well. But there are things that God has done that we could have never in a million years ever planned ahead of time. Five years ago when we were launching as a church, we basically started meeting on Sunday mornings and admitted we, uh, we, admitted we were a church and we invited grown-ups. That was basically what we did. But it was five years ago in January when we were supposed to go out and go through and figure out how to make all this stuff happen. And I was going to go out and raise money. You're supposed to raise $150,000. And it's like starting a Taco Bell franchise. You just got, you got to get the money and do the marketing and buy all the stuff. And so that was kind of the, the road that I was embarking on because I didn't know any, I didn't know what to do. And I don't mean any disrespect because the Lord moves in all kinds of crazy ways, all kinds of ways, including our way. But the earthquake in Haiti happened in January, and so suddenly we were not allowed to go and raise money for here because how could I? There were people dying, my friends. I mean, how could I go out and ask for money for my brothers and sisters here to start a church when I knew what was going on there? I couldn't do both. It's not a noble decision. It's an obvious decision. But it was a faith decision. And so over those next few months, we, were, we hammered down, man, a quarter of a million dollars we raised for Haiti, not including the in-kind services. And don't, we didn't even know you're supposed to count that stuff. I wasn't Baptist, so I didn't know. You're supposed to, you know, you've got to count all the stuff. I didn't know that. But we just kept doing it. And then meanwhile, April's coming. We're going to launch on Easter morning. And we didn't know where we were going to meet by February even. I don't know if you guys remember that, Jeremy. I mean, I, I should have been a lot more scared than I was. And we were meeting with uh, a friend of our fellowship um, who was helping us get money and get planes and get supplies to Haiti. And so we were meeting up at a little Mexican restaurant in Franklin. And, and that night, um, he was asking, so, you know, where, where is the church going to be meeting at? Where are we going to be uh, going? And I was like, I don't know, because we, we want to meet at Independence High School, but they don't let churches meet in there. So we probably will have to go to Spring Hill High School, which is down in Columbia, and he says, whoa, 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 back up a second. What did you just say? And what I had forgotten, I swear to you that I would forgotten, that this was the guy, his name was Jay Seculo. He won the Supreme Court case that allows churches to meet in schools. 
And so I'm, my wife was sitting here with me. I'm like, oh, no, 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 we don't want to sue anybody. Like, I don't want to get on TV. Like, that's not the, I don't want to, you know. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. That's not, gonna, that's not how the, we'll just write him a letter. And you might as well get ready to move in. And we did. Easter Sunday, 2010, we moved into the church because we sought first, listen to me, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And those things were added unto us. What are the statistical probabilities of that happening? That we're sitting down across the table from the guy that all the case law that he quoted in the letter were cases he won in front of the Supreme Court. That was just God. It wasn't us. It wasn't me. And so we moved in. We had nothing fancy. We had this dumb little trailer that was like five foot tall. We almost needed workman's comp insurance because everybody kept banging their head on this crazy little trailer. And we got this crazy little trailer because I was in Haiti. And the guy who was our youth guy at the time was like, yeah, I'm over here. It looks good to me. I think it's going to be a great trailer. I'm like, well, you know what you're talking about. Let's go ahead and buy it. And, and I come back and it's like $2,500 for this. So he was fired and we, no, I'm just kidding. We, <laughs> we, we did blame him a lot for it. But I was kind of mad about it because if I wouldn't have been distracted in Haiti, we wouldn't have had that, 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 that trailer. And then a guy called us and said, hey, we have this, I have this really great trailer. It's air conditioned. It's, he had $17,000 into it. It had been sitting in a, uh, in a, in a garage for two years. Um, and he said, I'll give it to you for uh, $11,000. I'm like, ah, that's awesome, except we don't have $11,000. So we'll just keep banging our head on, the, uh, on this white trailer. And two months later, he called back and said, hey, look, I got to go. We're moving out of state here. We're moving out of country, or Hawaii. Hawaii is not out of country, sorry. We're moving to Hawaii. What if I give it to you for $5,000? We had like $5,400 in our church account at that time, so we went and picked it up. But God provided this amazing trailer for us that we needed. It became MAMU, the Mobile Assault Ministry Unit. And we used it diligently for years. It's now our, our storage sitting out back here. God provided that for us. Along the way, there have been miracle after miracle after miracle. We sat down in a staff meeting once because at the high school, we were meeting in a cafeteria. You think this carpet smells bad in July? Wait till they burn the goulash on Friday at a high school, and then you got to go in there on a Sunday. We wanted some pipe and drape walls because we thought that would, you know, it'd make it look a little better in there, you know. And we sat in a staff meeting. I think Cortland was there. I know Jeremy was, my wife, and we got it was like it was going to be fifteen hundred dollars, and we thought, I can't really swallow that because our question was, would anybody walk away saying if they had pipe and drape walls, this would have been a better church? Because if that's true, there are lots of great churches with pipe and drape walls. But we thought if that's the litmus test, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just do without. We'll be fine. We're a troop carrier. We're not a cruise ship. Maybe you don't get pipe and drape walls in a, in a troop carrier. I don't know. That after, I, I'm not exaggerating. That afternoon, I'm on the phone with a friend of mine who's a pastor in Mobile, Alabama, John Breland at South Coast Church, who just moved into their, their building. He had $8,000 worth of pipe and drape walls if we wanted them. We could come get them. God just did it. He just provided for it. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. And we're like, wow. And for those of you who have been around, you know this. We're sitting in a room right now. We built buildings 
in Togo, Africa. We've built buildings in Haiti. We have children who are not homeless today because of money that we gave away, money that we were told we were being irresponsibly generous with. And I don't think we were being irresponsibly generous. I just think we were responding to the needs that were in front of us, believing that God would provide what we needed when we needed it. And so we sit in a building in the middle of, it used to be in the middle of nowhere that's now in the middle of everywhere, 11 acres, 13,000 square feet, debt-free because God responded. We sought first his kingdom and his righteousness, and this was added unto us. And I say that this morning to say to you that I do care about the chairs. I do. I care about the air conditioning. I'm a full-figured man. I really care about the air conditioning. But I'm not going to get scared and I'm not going to get freaked out about it. Because I believe that God has made a promise of what conduit is and what we could be And this troop carrier, he'll provide it when we need it. He'll provide it when it's time. And in the meantime, I gladly say that if it was between these chairs and between William, that's the right choice that week. It was the right choice five years ago when someone gave us, it was Christmas, it was December of 2010, and we were broke as a joke as church and somebody gave me, I remember uh, Jeremy was still there. It was, it was Jeremy and my wife, and he, a guy hands me $55,000 for the church. Not an earmarked gift to go to the other, you know, other places, but a church, or to us. And I was like, oh, this is awesome, man. We're going to make it through Christmas. And, you know. I felt the Lord say, no, no, this is holy. Give it away. And that morning, uh, we decided to give it to what is now Conduit Church in Togo, Africa, and that building was built with that money. But you know what happened? Um, Literally a month later, in another meeting, someone handed me a check for $125,000. Again, for the church. Now, here's the danger, and this is why I'm saying I'm getting ready to land this thing. The danger is is for us to make this a policy, okay, and not a principle. For me, I was making it a policy, and my policy was, oh, wow, he gave us $125,000. we got to give it all away again. And thank God for elders who shut me up, and we prayed about it, and we ended up giving half of it away. Because we don't want to make that our religion either. That money is no more holy in Africa than it is here locally. And today, we are not only debt-free, but we have $50,000 in a savings account for a rainy day for us, that is a direct result of that and us being faithful then and the Lord just coming through for us. My goal this morning was to try to explain to you a little bit how we work here. That we do believe that there are needs here that will be important and that God will provide them. And there are moments where we have to decide between the two. We let the Spirit lead us, not a policy. Because the Spirit might say the next time that comes in, let's get some chairs. Or the Spirit might just drop them off in our lap. He has been known to do that. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know this. We're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the promises that he made to us as a church, he's kept. And so when I say what I don't mistake my lack of concern is ambivalence, 
It's just faith. And it's hard-earned faith that over time, watching God year after year come through for us. He's come through for my family personally. And what I want you to hear me say this morning is he's going to come through for you. You're learning a language of faith. It's the language of eternity. And his goal is not your prizes here. It's the journey that we're all on together. Abraham journeyed to another land and he learned the language of faith. And over time, he would stop helping God because he realized that doesn't do us any good. And so my word for you, for me this morning, is that he's got promises for you, promises for your children, promises for your grandchildren, promises for your family, for your husband and for your wife. Don't panic. Don't try to make it happen. But trust him. And day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, you're learning a language of faith. You're learning what it means that I don't have to go make it happen, that I can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all those things are added unto me. He actually meant it. As our uh, worshipers are coming back, I would ask for us this morning to to know that I told the stories of Conduit, and there are many, many more. Not as a bragging moment, I promise you that you, I, every one of these stories, there's the moment where Darren didn't see that coming. It was in spite of me, not because of me. But I tell the story to bolster in you the faith that his promises are secure for all of us. And that the temptation to go make an Ishmael out of the flesh to say, I'm going to help you, God. Figure, I know that you're doing it, but you're not moving fast enough for me. So I'm going to go make it happen. I would challenge you this morning and challenge me this morning to just do what Abraham did, and that's go to the house of God, go to Bethel, and let God do it. And sure, he's going to ask you to maybe take a step here or a step there. But you know the difference, don't you? You can feel it in your spirit. Follow the peace, not the pressure. Let faith guide you. Faith in him, not in you. Faith in him, not even faith in faith. And you might say this morning, Darren, I don't even, I can't, I don't know, I have, have enough faith. Faith the size of a mustard seed and he'll move mountains. That's not very much. It doesn't even require much. So what I would ask you this morning as we're worshiping, think back to the promises that God has kept for you already. You might think, I can't think of any. Let the Spirit lead you. I promise you they're there. And hold on to them. When Jesus finished feeding 5,000 people, it says they got into a boat. And they get into the boat. And the disciples are there, and they're going over the sea. And they realize, remember he had 12 baskets left over. Was it 12 or 11? Baskets left over of food. Jesus, you know, they, they thought, oh man, Jesus is mad at us because we forgot the bread back on. He could literally right now snap a sandwich. They forgot that he could. See, he wasn't mad that they forgot the food. He was mad because 
They forgot faith. Those moments, maybe write them down, write them on your hand, write them in a notebook this morning. Those moments are your bread baskets to look back on the, the, oh yeah, he did this. Look what he, he's already done this. And I can rest in that, knowing that whatever promise is in there still, he's gonna keep. I don't have to help him. I don't have to make it happen. So think through, what are those moments that he's moved in your life? Is it dry and is it famine here in your life right now? Eat the bread of faith this morning. Eat the bread of the memories of what God has done and then look to the future. Build your own monument in your heart like Abraham built a monument that day in the house of God. Father, would you give us wisdom and direction? Lord, I am so thankful for your sovereignty, for your grace, what you've done here at Conduit corporately. No man could take credit for, not the least of which is me. Let that be a reminder for me. Let it be a reminder for us. Let it bolster our own faith that I don't have to help you. And Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak to each of us individually? Show us, remind us of those times when you've already come through for us this morning. And as that language of faith that we're already kind of fluent in, just let it become more in our lives so that when we look at the situation in front of us, it neither overwhelms us nor drowns us because you are in the boat with us. Today we seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, knowing that your promise was that then those other things would be added unto us. In your name we pray.